0: This is Emily Hoyt for Female Startup Club. Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Female Startup Club. I'm your host Duna Rashin, and joining me on the show today is Emily Hoyt, a seasoned entrepreneur of 20 plus years who founded her clean beauty empire, Lather, in 1999. What started as a company to solve Emily's terrible migraine troubles slowly but surely grew into a full-blown skincare company that's taken her down the entrepreneurial path to success. We're covering how she bootstrapped her business and found creative solutions to problems she faced with financing along the way, why she never took on VC money, and the learnings along the way she wished she knew. And you know the drill, while I've got you here, please do rate, subscribe and review the podcast to help other ears find us. This is Emily for Female Startup Club.
1: Botox Cosmetic, botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit
0: BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Emily, thank you so much for taking the time to be on Female Startup Club today. Oh, well, thank you so much for having
1: me. I'm so excited. I'm super excited. I wish I had a resource like this when I was starting out. So I'm thrilled to be here.
0: Me too. I'm thrilled to be here. (laughs) Um, I'm eager to go back to your life way back before you started Leather and to learn about that time in your life before you launched the business and what led you to starting the business.
1: Right. Well, when I was growing up, really starting at a young age, like five, I think was my first one. I had very severe migraine headaches and I was, my life was quite interrupted by these. They would happen a couple times a month and I would get very sick and miss school, have to stay in bed all day. And the sad thing was we lived, my house was right next door to my school. And uh, my parents thought it was great when they bought the house because we just, ever since we started, we just literally walked out the door down the sidewalk and to the school. But during the days that I had migraines, I would hear all the kids playing right up against our fence and every all the activity going on. And a lot of my early memories are just hearing what I was missing out on. And then later that night, hearing the family at dinner and hearing my brother and sister playing. And there was a real sense of loneliness and sadness, which later as I as I got older, I began to get very frustrated and angry on why I was missing out on so many memories and so many fun things that I would later hear about the next week at school and it became harder also to keep up with my schoolwork because the content got more challenging and I had more days, like three days in bed, then it became more difficult to catch up. So I became really motivated to find a solution and take more control and find a way to gain these days back. And in doing so, um, going to this amazing uh, doctor, neurologist who had me keeping journals and notating what I ate, whether if I felt stressed, um, to try to find patterns and maybe isolate certain triggers that I could have more control of. And what I discovered was that I was very affected by perfumes. And this was like the 1980s. And so if I was in the car with a friend and her mom, I would often develop those kind of first feelings of the indicating that I might be getting a really bad migraine. I started to isolate the times when that happened. And then that led me deeper. And I decided to take all perfumes and any kind of beauty product that had the word perfume or fragrance in it out of my house and my environment for a test. And I discovered that, that I did much better. So then that led me to be like (laughs) really energized and excited that I kind of had this one thing I could, I could have power over. And I began to really look at ingredients everywhere I went for different beauty products to try to see, oh, can I use this or not? I, um, you know, was 13, uh, maybe oh, wow. 12, 13, very into my hair, my makeup. And so I was getting into that time of life. I'm very excited. So you want to wear the perfume. <laughs> I wanted to be part of that rite of passage with the blue eye shadow and everything. And when I looked at the ingredients of what I could use and the different shops that I was going to with my mom or with my sister, you know, I discovered that whether it was a super expensive, fancy product or something that I found with my sister at Thrifty Drugstore after we got our ice cream, it was the same ingredient list. And I was really shocked. I was like, wait a minute, I had just seen this. It was the same, the same four ingredients ending with the word fragrance or parfum, which is the um, inky word. But that was a real eye opener to me and i felt like do people know this you know why would they are they why are they spending it, it was being this young girl realizing that you, you know this this industry is is manipulative and that the only real difference was their packaging and their advertising the supermodels or whatever and the different kind of claims they would make but it was exactly the same and it also was like oh well not only is this lies there's no variety mm. nobody's using anything else and it became i could i could find certain things that didn't have fragrance and were unscented but they weren't anything special or unique or fun and it just it started me on a journey and that is what i think set me up to to start lather.
0: That's so crazy to have these realizations at such a young age and to really identify that there's a big problem for you in your life that potentially yeah. other people are also suffering from and not being able to find a solution. Right. It's a really interesting time of your life to to start there. Right. And it wasn't only the frustration that I couldn't find a solution. I
1: also felt like, do all women know this? Should they know that they're spending, you know, a lot of money on something that's the same? I just felt this, I felt like I wanted to tell everybody and I was sure that they would be shocked. I um, I even remember thinking, do the companies know this? Do they know that everybody's using the same exact... <laughs> list and pretty much formula all across for everything. So yeah, it evolved, I think, as I got older. And, you know, during that time, um, going to college, there were some really amazing, beautiful, new beauty companies out there that were using essential oils, uh, began to learn about essential oils. I mean, this was you know, Body Shop, um, Aveda, a few, they were mostly using things that we find everywhere now, like lavender, rosemary, mint. But for me, it was really inspirational. And I began to research into essential oils more and began to research into, you know, what other cultures use and um have used for hundreds thousands of years, and why did we turn away from that for for something else um, after college, I worked in Public relations focused on nonprofits, so I worked with the state of California on teen pregnancy prevention, and I worked um, at the LA Gay and Lesbian Center for HIV/AIDS awareness. And I really worked every day at trying to frame arguments to change behaviors and to and to spread awareness about different issues that might affect your life. And it was fulfilling, but I kept. I, I kept going back to skincare, hair care, beauty products. And what I was seeing at the time where my friends in the group I hung around with in our twenties, we were going to the gym. We were trying to be eat healthy. We were um, living, you know, in Santa Monica and, and going on runs and going to spinning class. And we were very aware of what we put in our bodies, but strangely, I saw a lot of friends still continue to put stuff on their skin that was really unhealthy. And I was just shocked. And I was shocked at, you know, we're making a lot of connections between our behavior and how we feel and what's good for us, you know. This was kind of the era where all of a sudden nobody would smoke. And if you were smoking, it was secondhand smoke and you're you're hurting yourself, but you're hurting people around you. And very conscious of all these things, yet not, it wasn't penetrating into the beauty sector at all. And I realized that the skills I had learned working on behalf of different causes could be applied to something that I'm so passionate about and trying to communicate how important what you put on your skin is to your health and how you should be demanding great ingredients and looking at ingredient lists just as you would do food. And that that's sort of the
0: evolution of why I started Lather and how, yeah. How amazing. I'm so interested to learn sort of who, what female leaders or role models were you looking to at that time? Because obviously the internet now, you can go on, you can find absolutely information and inspiration from everyone. You can listen to podcasts, you can be on the school of YouTube, you can be everywhere. But back then I imagine it's very different scenario. It's a very different landscape. Right. And I'm wondering if you had people who you were really like admiring and learning from. Yeah,
1: um, of course. I think that I come from a long line of really determined, strong minded women. And so my mother, my older sister, my aunt, my grandparents, they, they were all if, they, if you wanted something done, you did it. And I think that the environment I was raised in really, I didn't feel that I had any limits or there weren't any expectations of me to be a certain way. Um, But I also didn't think anybody else was going to fix my problems. It was up to me. And then other women, I think, I don't know. I'm trying to think if there was any in particular people i looked up to in my industry i'm not i'm not sure and i'm not sure if there were a lot of different women entrepreneurs but i did i did love being around women leaders of all types and i think that what even if it was professors or teachers i had growing up that i really admired or um, just people that I'd been introduced to new and all across the board, I think what inspired me was seeing other people have an attitude and determination that they were going to make a difference and sticking to their goal and not giving up and and being persistent was the best model that I could have. So, For
0: sure. And I think feeding off other people's energy and getting that drive from what other yeah. people are putting out into the world can certainly spur you on. I want to really talk about the beginning of when, you know, that day where you were like, okay, I'm starting a business. This is it. What happened and how did you get started?
1: So, in the beginning, I was doing small gift baskets on the side. Um, putting together, you know, maybe bath salts and a soap and and a candle. And this was before I was making anything necessarily on my own, but I found a lavender bath salt somewhere and a candle that was made with natural ingredients and a soap. And I, I tried to put it together for birthdays, um, Mother's Day, things like that. Was very, very small. I'm talking about a couple orders. And then I began to really think about making my own products and how to come up with a small collection uh, and have a catalog, a catalog, black and white catalog that I printed at Kinko's and how to really just target my family and friends. But... My idea was, well, if they're sending gifts, maybe I can grow this yeah you know? i mean and 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 it was true to a small extent, but it was very small, very much a craft business on the side. I was working full time, and you know, I was dating my boyfriend, who's my husband now who who works in the business with me now, but at the time, I was dating him, and I was you know, talking about how I could expand this or do a little more, what else could I do? And, and, and maybe I could do a body wash. I hadn't done a lot of liquids. So I was trying to kind of f- figure that out. And, um, and he said to me, you know, you are so passionate about this. Why don't you take more of your skills and use them to educating people about the why, You know, and then listening to them create the right products. And that really inspired me. And I knew I did have the skills from work on how to communicate, how to put together graphs and charts and easy to digest information. And I began to think about it. I went to a night class at UCLA, a UCLA extension class on writing a business plan, which was completely foreign to me. And I went through each section um, for myself and really worked at it and learned kind of the basics of maybe launching my own business. And it was 1998. And by 1999, I had made the decision, I want to take this chance. I'm going to quit my job. I'm going to work at this full time talk to my parents, which was, you know, my dad was excited and thought like, great, try it for a year. And my mom was like, why are you giving up a good job? <laughs> and, and I just decided that I would take a year and I would put everything I can into it and see where, where it would end up. And it was exciting. And I had no idea what I would be getting into. And... And all of the challenges, when I, when I look back, I just, you know, you know, you you don't know what you don't know. (laughs) And uh, and and I did that. And that's how I started. I began to learn um, more about making more products. I became friends with a chemist. I did some extra runs. I i I began to really work on the branding and my goal was to wholesale and I could wholesale these and and this would be great. And what I found was my ingredients that I was using and the, the run size, I was doing small runs, I couldn't afford anything else. And the packaging, I mean, my labels were all made, again, I believe at this point still at Kinko's. <laughs> And I, I, it was so expensive. And the back then, 1999, the barrier of entry for an independent beauty brand launched by a 23 year old, it, it was impossible. It really was. I would go around to the stores and you had to compete. And back then, the packaging was amazing. I mean, There were Benefit Cosmetics, I remember, and Fresh was a brand new company and their their packaging was so beautiful. And I couldn't afford to have this beautiful packaging and the ingredients I were using would make it so that the price I would, the customer would pay would be too much. And I would really only be offering these products to a very wealthy consumer. And that wasn't my goal. So I had decided after kind of feeling defeated. Well, if I had my own store in a, an area that had a lot of traffic, I could have a captive audience. I wouldn't need to spend as much on packaging. I could spend the bulk of the ingredient on the products. It wouldn't be competing on the shelf against anyone. And I would be controlling the educational environment. And so I began looking for a storefront, but that was very difficult because nobody wanted to lease to me. But I finally found one in Pasadena. And it was beautiful. And we moved in. But then I realized I didn't have enough products to fill a whole store, which seems so obvious. But, you know, and then I had to make make more products quickly, um, which is not always a good idea. But so I just learned by doing that. But I really grew. I think that one decision to open my own store and have a controlled branded environment changed the trajectory of my business. Because once I did that, I was able to develop these deep customer relationships. And most importantly, watch customers interact with my products and learn from that. And that's really how we set our path to be a we didn't really call it this back then, but a D 2 C, direct to consumer brand, where you you really have a deep understanding of who your customer is, and how they're using your product, and if it's if it's succeeding or not, you you can learn that pretty quickly
0: in that environment. So that was the launch. Yeah, yeah. You had the you had the direct feedback loop all set up and ready to go. Yes. <laughs> yes. And we had sinks in the store. I mean, I would watch
1: the customers using the products in real time and looking at their facial expressions and watching them, you know, touch their hands as they walked afterwards around the store and and what they were saying to their friend. And it it, it was invaluable. And I don't even know if I realized what a gift Mm, that was at the time, but it really was.
0: Yes. In hindsight, you can see it. What kind of money back then did it cost to start the business? Was it a lot of money to, and, and how many products were you having to order? <laughs> you know, no,
1: nah, well, it, it, it's funny. So it didn't cost a whole lot. I had rent, of course, and I had one employee to start. Maybe I got two later. I was working all the time, by myself, um, rent was now I just laugh at, I mean, it was so cheap (laughs) um, compared to what it is now. I think it was $2,000 or something a month. And for that first year I got that money from my parents. I borrowed it from them and, um, (laughs) and that first year was scary. Yep. You're in debt to your parents. (laughs) Yeah. And we didn't make, we didn't make any money. And it was, we didn't start, I opened the shop in October and we really didn't start. Um, I never really felt like, okay, we're going to make it till that next holiday and that next holiday. So it was a good 14 months before I felt like, okay, I'm seeing people come back. We're we're able to get this momentum. For the product friends, I got pretty lucky. I became friends with Few different chemists and manufacturers, and convinced them to do overruns or test runs. I bought overstock packaging, and then labels. I think we did go to a label maker, but we, but the bottom line is the the very low minimum I could do is what we did to the point where I laughed because we didn't always have enough product. Um, but again. I couldn't afford to have so much inventory and that's such a risk too. So I think I was lucky in that I was able to bring in small amounts of my own branded product and test it. And we had some terrible failures, but we learned right away and it didn't sink us. And it really just grew the business customer by customer.
0: How were you marketing and finding your customers at that time? It was—I just was opening the door, <laughs> shouting to the street, "Please come in!" Just opening the door. We
1: were in an area that had a lot of—it was a shopping street. It was a like a lifestyle street that had you know movie theaters and restaurants, and, and there was a lot going on. And I was lucky because my shop at the time had a back door and a front door and I would open both And the parking lot was right behind me. So people would use it to um, to have a shortcut and then they would come in and I would try try not to let them pass. Trying to sell, hard sell. Yes. And people going out to dinner, I would say, well, wash your hands if you're going to dinner and get them at the sink and getting them to try the product. Oh, I love that. That's so cool. That's how, that's how I, I found our customers and marketed our products. And and I did come from PR, so I did know to send products and a little press release to the magazines.
0: And we got a, a little bit of coverage there. Um, so yeah, amazing. When you were talking about the, um, when you were manufacturing the product, all I could hear was like, yes, negotiation and yes, compromise. Yes. (laughs) Windling your way in and then being like, okay, well fine. I can't afford the great packaging. I'm just going to have to run with what I can get.
1: Absolutely. And you know, I think those initial, some of those initial relationships, I still have today, and I still work with these people. Although, you know, ordering, gosh, I don't know, even 100,000 units now with the same people that were there in the beginning. And that's really special. And I think it's about establishing relationships with your suppliers and your vendors, because I didn't have financing, a great amount of financing at all for my company. And what I learned is... Your um your vendors and your suppliers can can help finance your company whether they give you big terms or not, not big terms but longer terms, or they give you um you you know it's about a partnership. Uh, yeah, so, I mean they want you
0: to succeed so that you can both succeed and you can keep placing orders.
1: <laughs> yes, that's amazing. Yes, so convincing them to take a chance and convincing them that I would stick with them as I grew, you know, in the end, it wasn't that much for them.
0: Wow. And after that sort of period in the business in those early days, what do you think was the turning point? And when did you start to realize, oh, wow, like this is going to be something and I'm, I'm going to be able to stick it out and really grow this?
1: I don't know if there was one, particular, I know that I began to see customers regularly and began to see them coming back. And that stuck with me that I have, I'm in the the business of a replenishable everyday product. I'm part of their life. And if I win them, they return. And so I need to find more of them. (laughs) and I'm going to be okay. And I think that was a real comfort to me, but also this huge puzzle. Because again, this was before we did have a website, but it was, I think the website just listed our 800 number. (laughs) It was like, call this to order. And I didn't really know how to get more of them. And then we got this, well, once somebody came in our store, who was opening a hotel in West Hollywood and said, can I buy these products from my hotel? And in those days, if in uh, my answer was yes. All, I, I mean, I just said yes before I knew. And she was talking about small little bottles. And I said, yes. And then I had to find the small little bottles. We, every time she placed an order, we had to pump and drive it over, put a label on and drive them over. But then we started getting customers from that. And then a year later, I got a phone call from a woman who was working for a company that was opening a very large hotel in Atlantic City. And I'd never been to Atlantic City. I didn't know a thing about it. And she had said, our president was visiting Pasadena to visit the architect for this new hotel and brought his wife back a basket from your shop. And she fell in love with it. And he wants to have your products in our hotel. And it's going to be 2000 rooms. And do you do products for hotel? Well, I said, yes, I do, because I do this, you know, 15 room hotel in West Hollywood. (laughs) Of course I do. And I had no idea how I would do that. Um, But I went out to Atlantic City. Um, They hadn't even started. The hotel. When I first went to Atlantic City, I was like, I don't know what this place is, but they said we're going to build this four-star hotel, and it's beautiful. And they showed me renderings, and they kept saying, "So you you know how to do this and distribute to?" Uh, and I said, "Yes." And then we figured out they opened it. It was gorgeous. It's the Brigada, It's it really is a very special like uh, luxury hotel there, and I just worked and worked and worked to figure out that supply chain. But yeah, they needed product every day. They were running on 100% occupancy from the beginning, had to be supplied every single day. And we were making a good profit. And we were getting so many calls. We printed our 800 number on that product. Our 800 number was going crazy. So we kept having to add lines. And so then we were shipping product out everywhere. And that's when I knew, wow, you know, the travel industry and hospitality usually has pretty bad products and people are staying, going on trips for important reasons, a vacation, a job interview, a wedding. And if they are like me and they have a product with synthetic fragrance or even just a product that bothers them, that's really impacting their memory of that place and their entire trip and then maybe the success of whether if that trip was successful or not. And if I get my product sampled to them in a way that also makes me profitable, This could be really amazing. And so I started to explore that area more because it felt like it was being ignored. And I kind of thought, like, why aren't more companies doing this? There were a few companies doing hospitality, but they were just, um, they were just um, not great. It's just kind of considered like a throwaway product. So I felt like there was a real opportunity there. And um, it helped our business more than anything, it helped us gain customers in a time where it was a little difficult to just go out and gain customers and also spread our message about paying attention to ingredients, um, what a difference it can make. I had so many businessmen calling in those days saying, I tried your shampoo and, you know, it was so, because we had this mint mint time shampoo, we still have it, it's very tingly and it was very active for them. And they loved (laughs) it and they, they had not paid attention before then. So I began to see it's really just finding a, a way to spread your message and to get product, really good product, into people's hands and they'll return to yeah. you. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Get them on the get them on that first product and then they're a customer for life. Right. I read that you didn't take on any finance in building the brand. You didn't take on venture capital. And so was that an active decision, or was it just because the business was so cash flow positive that you were able to do that?
1: I wish that it was a real active decision. I don't know that I was focused on it until I started to get calls later and then just getting calls all the time. But, you know, but that was much later. That was more when there was more activity in this space. In the beginning, I don't think there was, and it was just considered sort of you had your bigger players and then you had your kind of hobbyists or craft businesses, right? So it, it wasn't, I didn't consider it really an option. And it, it was just never my path. I always wanted to grow the business because I had profit coming in. Not, you know, we, I never even took a bank loan until recently and with the um, Corona, the PPP. It was the first time I've ever had any type of loan. So again, financing the business and cash flow issues, which were constant, really came from us working with our vendors. Working with the vendors and working with, you know, developing the relationships with our customers and getting that repeat and just saying, you know, trying to get the best terms possible was, (laughs) was really. Creative solutions it was very difficult but at the same time i think it can be helpful because if you do not have cash to buy something you don't buy it <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of times people have a lot of cash and 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 so they go and they spend so freely when you have nothing you can't you're you're, you're forced to be so lean that If you're able to be successful, it's just a mentality that you keep throughout your business. So I think in a way it was helpful. We didn't grow as fast, but we grew customer by customer. I mean, I've been doing this 20 years. It's It's not getting a bunch of finance and blowing it up everywhere. It was customer by customer.
0: And that's what matters. Yes. For yeah. sure. Do you think another thing that I'm wondering about is obviously brands these days who take on venture capital, the goal is to exit. The goal is to sell, get the money back to the investors, that kind of thing. You've been in business for 20 years. Has that been something that you have just thought, you know what, I'm going to do this forever? Or have you thought, yeah, like maybe one day I will sell it and I will, you know, move out of this beauty product?
1: Right. Right. You know, it's such a good question. The truth is, for many years, that wasn't even in my mind. It was paying rent. What kind of new product, what kind of new ingredient I found out about that I want to see if I can afford to use? Um, what kind, it, it was trying, it was being <laughs> I a, a nice way to frame it, I guess, is to be very present. I was very present <laughs> Um, and didn't, honestly, didn't really plan long-term, which I would never advise to anybody, but I didn't. It's only been recently. And I think through growing and learning and also just maturing, having children and watching them grow that only, I would say the past five or more years where I've been more focused on long-term planning and what do I really want? And after spending so much time at this, how can I continue the life of what I've started in and make sure it still stands for what I've started? And does that mean selling to somebody who can do it better than me or does that mean passing it down through my family or does that mean folding it into something else, you know those types of hard questions. It's only recently that I've really been contemplating. In the first half of the business, at least or more, I I don't know if I thought I just wasn't ever gonna grow old, and I don't know what I thought, but it wasn't. I never even thought about it. So, um, passion. It now those questions are. I think especially through this pandemic, well, what's really important, did I make a difference? Can I make a difference? And how can I continue doing it? Th- those are the deep questions that I do spend a lot of time thinking about. And I'm not sure if there's perfect answers,
0: but it it's weighing on my mind for sure. There might be some serendipity that plays right. comes into play there. <laughs> Right. Sometimes you can't plan for these kinds of things either. Exactly. What do you think, looking back, are some of the key learnings that you've had along the way that you can share with other young entrepreneurs? The most important
1: thing I've learned, and I've had to repeat it to myself these last six months over and over, is it is never as good or bad as it seems. You may feel like you're on top of the world. You are killing it. It's not going to last. I'm sorry. It's not. And, and this, the same way that you can feel like you are at the very end of your rope, as long as you're able to hang on, that's not going to last either. Nothing is ever as good or as bad as it seems to you in the moment. You, you just need to hang on and take a breath because I think as long as you were still in business, things change. It's important to remember that. Um, and I think we get very affected by what's happening to us in the moment. We either believe we're invincible or we believe we're ruined or what, and, um, it's never as good or bad as it seems.
0: I love that. That's really cool. Um, I want to talk about where the business is today, what it looks like, what's happening, um, what initiatives you have going on, that kind of thing. Yeah, well, business,
1: as so many of us know, today is very different than anything we anticipated. And so that's also been a lesson. Um, you can plan and you can be prepared, but you you also need to remain very flexible and very, you know, and able to pivot and not be tied to your plans. This year has been unexpected and very difficult for all businesses, I, I think, and, and definitely our business. It has been hard. Um, however, I think we have been focused 100% on our customer. What does our customer want? What are they looking for? What do what can we give them? And how can we remain part of their everyday? So we made hand sanitizer. I know everybody's making hand sanitizer, but our hand sanitizer we launched March 30th. And we oh wow. March 30th, we sold our first hand sale. We had our first hand sanitizer sale. And we fulfilled it. We did it so quickly. We did it with food grade alcohol, so we knew alcohol was going to be an issue, and it has been. Um, we were there with soaps we made. We we focused on making sure our our website was optimized and ready because many of our customers immediately switched online, of course, like everybody did. We made sure our operations were um, ready to handle the influx. Uh, and we made sure, you know, our suppliers were okay and that we could ensure supply um because it drastically shifted. And that's, you know, we some of our business has stabilized, of course, since the early days of the pandemic, but we are very focused on making sure that we're offering products that could be really useful and really healthy. And an approachable price point to all our customers. We have organic lavender sanitizing wipes and we have our hand sanitizer. We've have, um, are launching different liquid soaps. Um, I think these products right now, it's very important for people to pay attention to what's in them. It's very important for people to understand that fragrance in the air is inhaled and can stick in your lungs and it can create... A lot of irritation. And so you want to make sure what you're using to remain healthy and safe isn't doing any more harm. Um, and we want to be there educating our customers and giving them the products and peace of mind for them to be able to get through this time.
0: Yeah, that's really nice. And I think all of your products sound so divine of oh, the thank you. ingredients and and how clean they are. So I'm sure that everyone's hands are <laughs> feeling really nice having these beautiful yeah. things going on and into their skin. Right, right.
1: And we also, you know, partner with a lot of hotels and beautiful properties all over the world. And they're suffering. And we need to support them. We need to support their staff. We need to. Su- we need to be part of the solution that helps people feel confident when they travel and helps them feel cared for and creates healthy environments. So this is a time where everybody needs to work together. You know, it's, yeah. um, and what I found is that people are more willing and more open to different ways of working and different types of partnerships than ever. And I think it's a great thing. It's one great thing that's happened. So,
0: Yeah. yeah. And I think as well being like forefront and relevant to everyone as you know the future unfolds and being kind of there when things do go back to normal and being the first products that people see in like hotels yeah. and that kind of thing is is also going to be really right. nice. We are up to the six quick questions that I ask to every woman that I speak to. Okay. Question number one is what's your why?
1: I want people to have an understanding of what's in the products they put on their skin and their hair, their body every day. And I want them to question, what is fragrance? There's a word fragrance on ingredient list. What is that? That can contain up to 4,000 different ingredients. It's given a pass in the US. They don't have to list them. Why? Why? Why is that? Why do they get a pass? And I want people to ask those questions. And that's, that's why I'm in this business.
0: Wow, that's so interesting. 4,000 mm-hmm. ingredients. That is crazy. I've never thought about that. Um, question number two is, what do you think has been the number one marketing moment that's made your business pop?
1: Oh, my gosh. Well, uh, in 2014, we were one of Oprah's. Favorite things. That was a huge win for us, but also just a personal win because I grew up with Oprah. (laughs) And that was pretty. I mean, Oprah's uh, the best. Yeah. That's a highlight. (laughs) So that for me was a huge marketing moment. Um, During this past few months, we've had tremendous success with our foot care products, which I don't think we were expecting, but I think people wanted to do those treatments at home. So we did a lot of digital marketing and we saw a huge response and a big success. And that was, that was really exciting because we weren't expecting it.
0: Yeah, how random. <laughs> I love that. Mm-hmm. I can see why. I mean, it makes total sense when you think about it, but it's unexpected.
1: Yeah, of course. It's those things that make complete sense, but you aren't expecting it. So that was
0: a lot of fun. That's really cool. Question number three is where do you hang out to get smarter? I guess it depends what I want to get smarter
1: about. Um, I'm a big researcher. I don't hesitate to call anybody or reach out to anyone to ask advice or questions. And honestly, nine times out of 10, I get a positive response. To make myself smarter or to get through a tough decision, I play the piano and I like to spend time doing something that that requires a lot of focus and a lot of different parts of my mind so that I can shut off completely from work and go into that other part of myself and that other world and then return. And I feel like I'm much smarter. <laughs> and then my kids, my kids always seem to have a simple, easy, obvious answer for the, the <laughs> issues I struggle with. And sometimes the simplest, most common sense answer is the answer.
0: <laughs> so, yeah, I love that. That's really nice. That's the first shout out I've heard for for kids of where they're hanging out to get smarter. we're all together nowadays, so. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Question number four is how do you win the day? And that's around your AM and PM rituals.
1: Well, I think too during these times when we are in one house, Every day over and over, I turn to aromatherapy. I like to start the day um, with balms we have that have really uplifting scents and doing it regularly every single day helps me mark time. And so I have balms for the morning and then I have a pillow spray and some balms for the evening. And Again, I think doing it consistently helps me frame the day. It's like how you have coffee in the morning and maybe tea at night. It's the same um, marker.
0: So I think that that helps me a lot. I'm really big on lavender oil at nighttime, going to bed. Oh, yes. <laughs> Keeps me calm. Yeah. It's a wind down for sure. Question number five is if you only had $1,000 left in your business bank account, where would you spend it? I've been in that position. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, I, I don't know that I have the the best answer for this, but again, I don't know that I would spend. I think the first thing I would do is reach out to Every partner I had, I think that too often we think about transactions. We don't think about partnerships and paying it forward so that you never know when you are going to be in the position. And I would, if I today had a thousand dollars left, I think my first step would be to focus on the deepest partnerships I have, whether it's through vendors and suppliers to see what help you can get there and also the best customers I have and and reaching out and connecting with them. Um, but I don't know
0: what I would spend. <laughs> it's a really interesting answer. I love that. And question number six is, how do you deal with failure? And that's around your mindset and approach or just a personal experience.
1: Well, I think failure's hard. I think it's hard on our egos and I think we're human beings. Um, But what I have found is to do everything I can to normalize failure and eliminate the shame part. And what really helped me is being open and talking about the failures I've had, especially to my kids. Because there's many aspects of your life and you're not going to fail at all of them. So I may have failed at work. I may have failed communicating to an employee. I may have failed a customer. There's so many different levels. You still have that. And normalizing it and talking about it and exposing my kids to it is is not failing as a mom. And so modeling that failure is a part of every day is really important. I don't want my kids to grow up thinking I've had, you know, that their their mom had this huge success and never failed and have that pressure because they're going to fail someday. And so they're watching how I handle it. And then I think the hardest failures for me are um, when I have to look at myself and repair something and having the courage to go back maybe to that employee and say, you know what, let's repair this or to that decision um, that you made and were really stubborn about and realize, okay, that wasn't right at all. Um, Having the courage to repair whatever you can because I think sometimes the feeling can be to ignore it and move on. But oftentimes there's there's parts of the failure you may be able to salvage and it's worth it as hard as it is. So yeah, that's how I try to deal with it.
0: <laughs> that's incredible. Incredible, incredible. Thank you so thank much you. for taking the time to be on the podcast today and share so much of your story. Well, thank you for such thoughtful
1: questions and
0: deep questions
1: and I think this is so important I think what you're doing is so important again I didn't feel that I had a resource like this and I'm just really really honored that you asked me to be on it because I I think I think your questions are incredible
0: thank you thank you so much hey it's June here